Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. For more information about us, check us out online at kenosha.church or on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. This is the last teaching in our series, Empires Volume 2, which is a study through the Book of Romans. Andy McGowan teaches through Romans 8, 31 through 39 on the spirit of triumph. Enjoy the message. Well, again, welcome to Emmanuel Kenosha Church and everybody online. This is our final portion of Empires Volume 2. This has been our study in the book of Romans. Some of you are like, we're only up through Romans 8. Don't worry. We're going to continue through Romans in different volumes. And in the new year, we'll pick up Volume 3, which is going to be really interesting. Because as Paul's laid out a foundation of who we are in Christ and how to receive Christ in our life, He's going to get to very practical situations. He's going to talk about Israel. He's going to talk about the government. He's going to talk about gray areas. It's going to get wild. It's going to get good. And so be anticipating that as we pick that up in the future. Uh, Next week, we're going to start a mini-series called Summer Psalms, a mini-series. Starting next week, we're just going to pick different psalms of our choice. And so uh, make sure uh, you are ready for that. And so today, let's go to Romans chapter 8, Romans 8, verse 28. We're going to pick up there again this week. We talked about that last week, but it is such a rich passage where you have to begin and unpack it even further this week. Now, uh, it is summer, as I said, and summer is drawing closer to a close. I know for those of you that are in school or college, you're like, oh, come on, don't remind me of that. I hated that as a student. I'm like, I wanted summer to be endless. Uh, But one of the things about summer always was the movies, right? They usually had the summer blockbusters. And I've mentioned before, my favorite movie of all time is The Goonies, all right? The Goonies is my favorite movie of all time. Some people that are like younger millennials and Generation Z, you've never seen that. Shame on you, all right? So, but I would say a second close runner-up is the trilogy of Back to the Future, all right? Back to the Future. I absolutely love that movie. Um, If you've not seen that movie, again, what in the world are you waiting for? Uh, it, is, it is a movie that indeed has stood the test of time. Uh, Back to the Future, if you didn't know from the title, it is a movie about time travel. Uh, and in this movie, Michael J. Fox, he stars as Marty McFly. Uh, he accidentally, uh, in, in a time machine, goes back to 1955. And there he sees his parents. And he ends up messing up some of his parents' timelines to where they don't end up dating. And he realizes, if I don't get my parents together, he's not going to exist. All right? So it's amazing to see when you go back in time. And you, we think of this. Wouldn't it be cool to go revisit our childhood? Or wouldn't it be cool to go to an era of time that we didn't live in? Or better yet, even go to the future and see what the future is all about? Well, this movie shows you it could absolutely be a disaster. It could destroy the universe is what they say, right? Because one effect could cause a domino to drop. And that's why there's a trilogy. Because every movie, a domino drops and there's a problem that they have to fix. So, you know, the reason why uh, these movies are so popular, and there's TV shows and movies that have been made since. There's a brand new show called Loki that's on Disney+, Plus, has everything to do with time and variances of time. And the reason why we're drawn to these tropes is because it allows us to ask the question, what if that thing didn't happen? Or what if I lived in this different era? Or, or what if, you know, this thing that didn't work out, it worked out? And you know what happens is when we uh, face tragedy or we face different things that we wish that were a bit different, it, we catch ourselves reliving those moments, right? Where we, we rewind these memories in hopes that somehow when we get to the end of the memory, it will be different and reality will be different. But that's not reality, right? But that's why these movies are so popular because they ask the question if you can go back in time what would you change what would you change what are those regrets what are those areas in your life that you wish they were just a little bit different you know one of the things that popped off in the top of my head here was my last conversation with my grandma mcgowan uh you never know when you're going to have that last conversation and it was uh, at thanksgiving we just loaded ourselves full of turkey and mashed potatoes and i don't know about you but when you eat more than what you should on thanksgiving what happens in the afternoon right You take a nap, right? You fall asleep, right? That turkey just puts you right to sleep. So my grandma, who had been ill, she came out. She just had this long conversation. It was the longest conversation that she had had. She had been very ill the years past. And it was just out of the ordinary. But the turkey won, and I fell asleep as she was talking. And we went home after that, and then that was the last conversation I had with her. Man, if I could go back in time, I would literally shake myself. Stay up, right? But what are the ideas or what are the, what are the memories that you just revisit and you wish that would change? Maybe it's a, a decision you made in middle school and high school that literally you're still facing 
today the consequences of that choice. Perhaps it was as a decision that you made at work, or maybe you got so angry at a coworker you mouthed off, and now you don't have that job, or you lost your retirement. Maybe it's when you moved to a different place or a different city. Maybe it's when your marriage took a turn for the worst and you realize, man, if I would have done just this in this moment, that could have changed. We could have, would have, should have. Man, I wish I could change the past, but you can't change the past. What you can do is walk in the present and trust God with the future. It's quite normal to think of these alternate realities, but listen, here's the deal. Alternate realities are not realities. As much as we would love to think that science fiction is correct, they're not realities. But you know who knows everything throughout all of this. He knows your pain. He knows your regrets. It's the Lord God Almighty. And here's the thing that we're going to get to today. There's going to be some mind-blowing concepts that we talk about. But God, he exists outside of time, right? Our God is, is, is outside of time. He hovers over the whole timeline, right? And here's another thing. Not only does he hover outside of time, he knows every possible situation, variant. He knows every possible scenario that could have happened. And yet we're living in this scenario. We're living in this reality. Why? Because God knows in his symphony of his goodness and his mercy and his grace of how this is all to play out. I don't know if I just blew your mind right there. But we are living in a life that God is absolutely in control. We are not living in a world of happenstance and chance and a, a, a big bang that caused great confusion. I want you to know that we do believe in a big bang. That is when God spoke, right? It, he spoke it into creation. If that's not the biggest bang that you've ever heard in your life, right? And we don't live in a world of, of, of chaos. We live in a world of order that has been distorted by sin. And what we have to realize is this, is that when we have a life that is filled with regret or a life that is filled with confusion because certain situations have happened in our life, this needs to be the time not to go back and try to rewind it and change it, but to say, God, I'm going to trust you all. I'm going to trust you all with my life and what I don't understand. So here's the awesome promise that you have this morning. If you've placed your faith in Jesus and you're walking in his ways, in his will, you can claim this verse. This verse, you can take it to the bank. Whether you know what's going on, whether you're confused, whatever. This is your promise. Romans 8.28 says this. It's on the screen. Make sure you have your Bibles open so you can circle it. You can highlight it. You can memorize it. Romans 8.28. For we know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. This is something you can take to the bank if you are a follower of Christ and you're walking in his ways. We have one life to live. We have one God to worship, a life to live on God's purposes. And you can regret all what you have done or you can turn to God and trust him and live like there's no tomorrow in his will. So here's the main idea if you're taking notes this morning. The main idea is this, is God's purposes are good. No matter what is going on in life, what regrets that you have, or what you don't understand in life, God's purposes are good. And you have a choice this morning. Are you going to walk in those purposes? Or are you going to try to create your own purpose? Or are you going to try to, you know, change the purposes of the past, which is impossible? God's purposes are good. Three things about his purpose that we're going to look at this morning. That his good purpose is working on your behalf. He purposes triumph over opposition. And he purposes perseverance until the end. His purpose perseveres until the end. All right, let's take a look at number one. Number one is this. God works his purpose on your behalf. God works his purpose on your behalf. Again, Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for the good of those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. Now, notice there's a phrase right there. We know. We know. Well, what do we know? In this case, if you're a follower of Christ, we know that God is working. He is working in your life. We know that God is providing uh, we, if you're a follower of Christ and you're walking in the will of God, you know that even if you don't have it figured out, you know someone's working on it. And God is working on your behalf. But in this life experience, as we've learned the last couple weeks, we also know something else. Verse 22 specifically. We know that God is working, but we also know that this world is full of groans. In fact, it's not just isolated to you or humanity. Verse 22 says that the whole universe is groaning. The world is groaning like in birth pains. So we know groanings, and we know the goodness of God if you're a follower of Christ. You know these two very seemingly polar opposites in your life. We know groanings, 
Groanings, as we mentioned before, are relational breakdowns or unmet expectations in life. They could be your health that is failing. They could be your finances. They could be groanings for no reason. Have you ever done that, right? You wake up in the morning and you're just groaning for no reason, right? You don't want to get up. You feel depressed. You feel anxious. And you don't even know why. Those are the groanings of a fallen world. But as followers of Christ, we will experience groaning. There's nothing wrong with you if you're experiencing things that make you groan, things that just are heavy on your heart. There's nothing wrong with you. That is to be human. That is to be in a body that is not yet fully glorified. But we are to groan, not without hope. For the one who created this entire universe, he is indeed, as we groan, we need to understand he's working on our behalf. He's working on it, right? How many of you experienced a power outage, right? How many of you experienced a power outage this, this week, all right? Uh, I was out of power from Tuesday night all the way to the wee morning hours of Friday, all right? It was like, what in the world? And, I could, it, and the problem was this. Everybody's like, we don't know what the problem is in our neighborhood. I know the two power lines in our backyard were busted, all right? And so the lines were in our backyard. And so I realized I groaned. We groaned. We're throwing food out, right? We were like, oh, come on, fix it, fix it, right? But we knew that this wasn't the end of the world because somebody was going to be working on it, right? We knew that somebody could do something that I could not do. If I went up on the pole, I would probably die, all right? I would die. I would tell you that. But somebody else is working on it. You see, when we have groans in this life, whatever it may be, a power outage, relational, a mishap, whatever it is, I want you to know that God's working on it. If you're a follower of Christ, you don't have to worry about, man, how am I going to get through this thing? It's not about you getting through this thing. It's about God working through you to get you through that thing. The Spirit intercedes on our behalf and he begins to direct your path and your story to his will when you groan. But for many, including followers of Christ, including myself, there are many times that we groan and we do it without God. Right? Can we admit that? There are times that we groan, we have the pressures in life, and we groan and not give it to God. We groan without God. Now let me demonstrate it this way. Uh, we were tra- on one of our Alaska uh, trips. I think it was our first one. So I think Pastor Tom was with me on this one. Uh, we were going to a national park called uh, Saint Eli, Wrangell Saint Elias. It was a very remote park. The only way to get into it was to drive an old trail that was a railroad track. So the rocks are really big, and and so we're like, all right, let's do it. So I'm driving in our 1996 Honda Accord, okay? Uh, I don't think I was meant to drive on a uh, railroad bed, but that's what we did. And I remember reading the notes about this road. It said, you will blow a tire. <laughs> and I thought, well, not our car. We're, we're blessed, right? We won't. So guess what? We drove into the park, and we made it just fine, all right? Like, I felt the anointing on that, right? We were just fine. But on the way back, Right? On the way back, I realized we were going a little low in the very back tire. And I realized, uh-oh, what happened? So I pulled over, and I realized we took a little railroad nail, all right? Oh, man, just like they said it was going to happen, right? And so I opened up our, our trunk to see what I could have to, to fix this tire. And what we had was this little uh, lighter-powered, the cigarette lighter-powered uh, bike pump. And I thought, okay, well, we'll try this. So I put this little bike pump on, just kind of waiting there, just waiting, literally 10, minute, 10 minutes to see the, the tire have some kind of movement. And I think at this point, we were putting in a little bit more air than what was coming out, but not by much. And so when it got to a point where we thought we could drive it, we got in the car, drove it five minutes, pulled over, repeated. We did this over and over and over again until we got into a small town. We noticed by God's providence, there was a little log cabin, and it said tires on the side. He like had painted it on the side of his little shop. He realized there were going to be people like me that was going to come out of this park. And I pulled in and he fixed that tire. Now, the reason why I tell you this is I've said this story. I may have even said it here before, but I've said this story all over when I speak around the country, all right? And so this is a story that is like a perennial story for me if you were to hear me around the country. And, uh, and, and usually I tell this story about persistence. You know, you just must be persistent in the Lord. Even if you get pulled over, keep on going back on that road. And, you know, it worked pretty well because, yes, that's a great illustration for that until somebody absolutely ruined it for me. At the end of one of my talks, some guy came up to me and he said, hey, I got a question for you. And I said, like, yeah, what? what's the question? He's like, why didn't you use your spare tire? This happened in 2009, and it took me years upon years to realize, you're right. Why didn't I use our spare tire? I asked Alice, why didn't we use our spare tire? And I realized, 
oh my goodness, I was so intent on my way that I didn't use the best way. I didn't use the most obvious way of putting my spare tire on. I didn't have to pull over all those times. Uh, you mean to tell me everybody around the country is, the, is probably thinking the same thing. They're probably like, man, he's really dumb, right? But man, isn't it that way when we grow without God, Right? We think we're doing something that's getting us somewhere, right? We think, oh, man, it's hard, but I'm getting where I'm going, right? And we can do it without God. Some of us, we do it without God. We, we, we do it with addictions, right? Some of us, we do it. We fill our lives with screen time, right? We fill it with relationships that, that, are, that are not good, right? We, we fill it with different things in our life to distract us from the problem, distract us from our groaning so that we don't have God in our groaning. We think we can do it ourselves. But listen, that's like driving, pulling over every five minutes when you got a spare tire in your trunk and you're not going to use it. God wants to be in our groanings because he wants to intercede with every groaning that we have. When you groan without God, you come up with the solutions, but they're not solutions. They're just distractions. But God, he wants to work before you. He is working before you. He wants to work on your behalf. And through his spirit, he's working in you. And he's working in you to push you where you can never go alone. So what's the scope of his goodness? Let's look at verse 28 again. We know... We know what? We know his groanings, and we also know as followers of Christ, you know his providential care. We know that in all things, God works the good for those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. So what is the scope of his goodness? Notice this, in all things, in all things. You know, how easy is it to just read a scripture and you're just like, eh, we know that God in all things. No, 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 stop. He's good, working on your good in all things. Now, what are all things? We got to define it, right? Let's see. Your tragedy, uh, your mistakes, uh, your victories, uh, every moment of goodness, every groan. I mean, I can keep on going. There is no limit. All things means all things. When you love God and you're walking in his will and in his purposes, he turns tragedy into testimony. He turns mistakes into mercy. And he turns your volatility into victory. This is a promise. Why? All things. I love what John Stott says. I'll put the quote on the screen. He says, thus, all that is negative in this life is seen to have a positive purpose in the execution of a God's eternal plan. Nothing is beyond the overruling, the overriding scope of his providence. When you're walking in his will... You might not have everything figured out why what's happening is happening, but we can understand is this, God is working for your good in all things. Even that situation, yes, in all things. But there's an important qualifier. You must be a son and daughter of the king. You must have placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. As I said last week, a lot of people quote this verse and they quote it over people that don't know Jesus. And that's a misquote. You're giving somebody a false assurance. You cannot have assurance if you don't have Christ. You need Jesus Christ in your life to be forgiven, to become a son and daughter of the king, and to be able to claim his promises. Did you, did you get that? So you must be a son and daughter that loves him, and you must be called according to his purpose. You must be living in his will. So let's take a look at that, calling according to his purpose. Well, when you do it your way, your own way, you will indeed go somewhere. You'll feel something. You might be happy for a moment. But you're not doing it what, the way that God wants it. But as a son and daughter of the king, you're called to live differently. You know what living differently is? You're not the starting point. You know what living differently is? It may be countercultural. It probably will be countercultural. And it's not your way, but his way first. You are called, not according to your purposes, not according to your goals, not a, a, according to what you want. You are called according to his purpose. So my question to you is this. Do you believe that God is working on your behalf in all things? Do you? In your situations right now, your scares... Your scars, your regrets, your confusion, your anger. Are you trusting him that he's working on your behalf in these areas? Some of the things, by the way, when you walk in his will, you will begin to see the why these things occurred in your life soon. 
But for some of you, it may be later. But for most of these things, it could be in heaven. And only in heaven that we see his perspective and his symphony of his sovereignty. But no matter what, when, whether it's soon that you will figure out why what happened happened or, or now or in heaven, we're to trust. We're to trust his goodness. And even when we don't see it as a child of God, God is asking you to stand on this promise that he is working for your good. Stand convinced that he is still working even when you don't see that he's working. Even when you don't feel that he's working. He never stops, as the song says, right? He never stops working. He never stops working on your behalf. Even when you're confused, even when you're broken, even when you're crushed. But when everything has burnt down, what remains is this, is his goodness. It's his goodness and his kindness that he's not stopped working on your behalf in a very fallen world. He's doing a work in you, and you'll continue to do that work in you if you're a child of God until you die and go be with him or he comes back. The good is for his sons and daughters, but we see the word called according to his purpose. God is doing a big work. Our God is so big. But often, we make God so small when we don't live by his call. We make God so small, we shrink him when we refuse his call. We live in a society where many have made God small. And many have not even made him small, they've made him false. There's many false religions. There's many variants of Christianity, Jehovah Witnesses, Mormons that are outright false. They follow false religions, false gods, false Jesus. You know what a false Jesus is? It's Jesus in name only. It's taking his red letters, some of his red letters, taking some of the Bible, typically twisting it, taking it out of context, and it results in a neutered Savior. And for the popular Jesus, that is the cultural Jesus today, that's not a biblical Jesus, uh, this Jesus resembles more of a hippie human self-help coach with a podcast than a Savior of the world that tells us to lay down our life for him. We live in a world where many have made God so small they have become their own God. We are always in danger when we do it our own way of becoming our own God. Small g, by the way, because we're not God. Where one tries to control every aspect of their situations, every aspect of your future. If you're a parent, you, you try to hover over your kids to make sure you have all their futures figured out. Sometimes we vicariously live through our kids' lives. But I even saw an article yesterday on, in CNN where they talked about a study that many people are choosing not to have children, even though they can, because it will ruin their style. It'll ruin their plans. It'll make them feel, here we go, make them feel out of control. So they're not having kids. We love the perception of control. We love it. By the way, for those people that don't want kids because they don't want to feel out of control, good thing their parents didn't think the same thing. The end result is this, we want to die happy because we felt like we were in control. But what's more important than dying happy is standing before the throne of God and finding our joy in Christ and hearing the phrase, well done, my good and faithful servant. You see, I don't want to stand before the throne room of God and we're like, well, you know, God, the reason why I just didn't go to church, or the reason why I didn't really, you know, call, be called according to your purpose and did my own purposes, life was busy. I mean, you saw that, like you're all knowing God. Life was busy, and so I just didn't get around to it. God's going to respond, oh, really? We live in a world where so many say there's no God, and they live as God, and in a world where many Christians have a very small God. But here's the thing I want you to know. If we live in a world where many have shrunk God and they've made God small, it doesn't mean that we have to make God big. God is big no matter what we think of him or not. Our role is to magnify the goodness of God. Our role is to magnify how good God is to this world. And as he calls you, as you, mag as you magnify God in your life, he is calling you to grow, to be less you and more like Jesus. You live in a world where it's like, find yourself. No, you need to find Jesus. Be more like Jesus. For those in Christ, he has been working on your behalf 
He's been working on your behalf. Now, when did that start? When did God start working on your behalf? It wasn't when you were born again. If you place your faith and trust in Jesus, he's like, okay, time to get to work, right? No, no, what? it's before that. It wasn't just at your physical birth, okay? It was before that. It wasn't just at your conception, right? What we see here is that God has been working before the foundations of creation. He knows you and he's been working for you for all time. Romans 8, 29. For those he foreknew, he has also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son so that he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. And those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he also glorified. (laughs) This is a huge passage. We read this very briefly last week. We're gonna pack it more this week. So let's talk about that first word. For those he foreknew, foreknew. This word's very important. This shows that God not only knows everything about the past and present, He knows everything about the future. God exists outside of time, as we had said earlier. And there's never a time that God did not exist. This, in theological terms, is called the eternality of God. If you're taking notes, there's your bonus point right there. This is called the eternality of God. God has always existed. He existed in eternity past, and he will continue to exist in eternity future. Wayne Grudem puts it this way. He sees all the time equally and vividly as he hovers over time. He sees all of time equally equally and vividly, yet God sees events in times and acts in time. Uh, We see this scripturally in Psalm 90, verse 2. Let me read it for you. Psalm 90, verse 2. Before the mountains were born, before you gave birth to the earth and the world, from eternity to eternity, you are God. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's forever, both directions. I don't know about you, but just thinking about God never having a beginning point or an end point, that kind of blows my mind. It doesn't make sense. We have an infinite God, and we have a finite brain. God exists outside of time. Time does not change God, and God is unchangeable. He's all-powerful. He's all-knowing, and his promises do not fail. So as you hold on to Romans 8.28 today, it's not going to be like, oh, you know, that's kind of outdated, right? It's kind of like, you know, those bonus points you get when you go shopping and you have like a year to use them, right? It's kind of like, okay, well, this is just for this year. No, this is a forever promise. His promises stand. Time doesn't change him. Culture doesn't change God. He is the same. His promises will not fail or change. And when things happen on earth, when tragedies happen on earth, they never catch God by surprise. He's not like, oh, didn't see that coming. God's never that way. He knows all what's coming. And that's why when, we're, when we are surprised by what's coming, when we're disheartened, when we're dismayed, or even mad at God for what's happened, we must go to God because he knows all. He's all powerful. He's all merciful. He's kind. He's a comforter. Let's go back to that word foreknew. This is not just God knowing future facts, past, present, and future facts, but this word also is a relational word. It means that not only did he know you in the past and what was going to happen in the future, he knew you personally. He knew your name. He knew everything about you. Because God exists outside of time, when you place your faith in Christ in a moment of time, God outside of time has never ceased not to know about you and love you. God chose to love you. Just as he chose Israel out of all the nations of the earth to love, he chose to love you. Not by merit, not by his free choice. You were created, you were born, you were sought, you were bought, not by any merit, but by his free choosing because he loves you. And the sea of people, God knows your name, and he's ran after you, he's running after you. You can't run, outrun God. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what you're going to do. It doesn't matter what you think you can do. God can run faster than you. And the big thing is this. If you know that God's a better runner than you, it's best that you just submit and let him win. Because he's coming for you. Those who he foreknew, we see the second word here, he predestined. Oh man, there's a big word. We're actually going to kick off volume three with that word. Um, you, you know, this word has become very controversial in different sects of the church. Uh, but it wasn't for Paul. He just, he just dropped it like it was no big deal. Um, God's sovereignty uh, is found in this word predestination. It's a mystery. And it's one that we should study 
but it's one that I always cringe and people talk like they have it all figured out, right? Oh, this is what it means. It's like, okay, all right, that's cool, right? Uh, yeah, you have it all figured out? Okay, all right. No, I don't think you do. All right, so, but this is the mystery of God. Like, why does he act a certain way? Why does he allow certain things? And I'm going to tell you as a pastor, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. But what I do know is that God is good. What I do know is that God is working. What I do know is that God is coming back and he's redeeming this fallen world. What I do know is he's giving us his Holy Spirit to do kingdom now stuff right now. Right? That's what we know. Now, I believe that God is completely in control. And, while, and we also at the same time have the personal responsibility to obey God. To be obedient to the things of God. And to be forward focused with the mission of God. Now, some people think because God is completely in control and completely sovereign of what he is, that you don't have to do anything. Oh, I know that we're supposed to reach people for Jesus, but if God really wants to do it, he'll, like, overpower me and I'll start walking towards somebody, right? Like, or, you know, everything that happens in life, if God didn't want it, he'd stop it, right? And what we do is we try to dumb down the mysteries of God into how we understand it, and we make a mockery of them. I remember I went to a, a seminary one time. And there was a seminary filled with this idea of, well, if God wants to stop it, he'll stop it. So they lived however they wanted to live. I won't say the name of the school. It was down south. And uh, they, uh, I went, went to visit my friend, and I was just horrified. It was like a party school. You know, there were, there were people drunk. There were people uh, smoking who knows what. And there were people that were cussing worse than a sailor. And their reasoning was, well, God's in control. He's sovereign. And it must be giving him glory somehow because, you know, he'd stop it, Right? And I'm like, man, God's not fooled. You think you're fooling God. You think you've outgamed God. You haven't outgamed God. You're, oh, my goodness, right? Then you have people on the other end of the spectrum where they think that everything in the kingdom is dependent upon them. Right? I had a friend who was just always so depressed, always so down, because nothing he did was good enough because he felt like and he knew how he could do it better. I mean, this person reached people for Jesus, but it was, it, there was never a joy in reaching people for Jesus. He's like, well, I could have reached this person. I could have said that differently. I could have done this. Oh, right? And he felt like the whole kingdom of God was on his shoulders. And that's wrong as well. You see, in the mystery of God's sovereignty, we know that God is fully at work. God is working upon you. God has given you his amazing Holy Spirit to work through you. And our response isn't to have it all figured out why God and how he does different things. It's to simply trust him like a child and say, God, if you said it, we're going to do it. Amen? If you said it, we're going we're gonna to be obedient children of God, knowing you're completely in control. We have responsibility to respond to his calls. I mean, we have a responsibility to respond to the gospel call. When we heard the, if you hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, you have a responsibility to say yes to Jesus to receive him into your life. You see, you have the responsibility to answer the call, but you must know if there's a call, that means God had your number first. We see this in 1 John 4, 19. We love because he first loved us. I love what J.R. Packer says about this in his essay, Evangelism in the Sovereignty of God. This is what he says. I'll read it for you. He said, in the first place, we give thanks to God for someone's conversion. Now, why do we do that? Because we know in our hearts that God has, is entirely responsible for it. That's true. When someone receives Christ... We're not like, God, we thank you so much for the wisdom of this person that they saved themselves. That would be a heretical prayer, right? No, rather we thank God uh, for making salvation possible in that person's life. There's a second way we acknowledge the sovereignty of God. We acknowledge that God is sovereign in salvation, that we pray for the conversion of those who don't know Jesus. I hope we all do this. I hope we do this for our family, our friends, our coworkers, right? I hope we do this, that we are praying that they would come to know Jesus. But if it was all on that person, just receiving something, uh, we wouldn't pray that way. Obviously, we're asking God to work in them everything necessary for their salvation. So in our thanksgivings of people receiving Jesus, in our intercessions, we believe in his sovereignty. So on our feet, we may have arguments when it comes to the sovereignty of God. But on our knees, I believe we all agree. When God initiates the work, it removes all our boasting. If you've placed your faith in Christ... He predestined you to become conformed to the image of Jesus. That is his will. Your will isn't to receive Jesus so you get out of a hell free card, like, you know, get out of jail free card in Monopoly, right? Uh, it, his, 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 his job isn't just to save you. He wants to conform you to the image of Jesus. You should not be the same if you receive Jesus Christ as Savior. The phrase we are 
conformed to the image of God. He's the firstborn, Scripture says here, over his sons and daughters. I want to say something about this word, firstborn. It does not mean that Jesus was born. If you get a little from a Jehovah Witness, this is one of the things that they're going to say. Oh, and they'll point out this text. He was born. Jesus wasn't, he hasn't always been. You know, he's less of a, you know, they, they make him out to be less of a deity. That's the heresy of Jehovah Witness theology. This word firstborn can be used for someone who was born, but in the context, this is used, it's also used a second way. It's the privileges of a firstborn. It's the preeminence of one who's firstborn, which means this, that when you are conformed to the image of Jesus, you never outrank Jesus. You don't become God. You become like God, and he is our master. He is the head of the table. Is Jesus the head of your table? Are you being conformed to his image where he's actually at the table of your life and, and you're listening to him? Is Jesus at your table? Or do you relegate him to the kid's table, right? You know what I mean by that when you have all the family over and there's the kid's table, right? And that's what we do sometimes is we're not being conformed to the image of Jesus. We just want the benefits of Jesus. But Jesus is for kids stuff, right? Maybe, you're, maybe you got right with Jesus when you started having kids because you want your kids to know Jesus, but you're not applying it to your own life. Or maybe you're in church and, and your theology is, is, hasn't grown since you were a kid. Listen, kids are so important. We, we value kids so much here at Emmanuel because Jesus said such as those are the kingdom of God that we have childlike faith. But he made the message of, of the gospel so easy for kids to understand. But that doesn't mean he wants us to stay as babies spiritually. He wants us to grow. He wants us to grow, but for some of us, we've relegated Jesus to the kids' table. Some of us, we allow Jesus to be the head of the table, but only when the cool kids are around the table. You know, think of like middle school and high school lunch, right? You might sit with certain people, but then when the cool kids came, you're like, I don't know if I could be seen with this person. That's how some of us are with Jesus, right? Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. There's nobody greater than him. He is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. He is who we worship. It's who we are to live our entire life for. So Jesus needs to be at the head of the table. Why? Because, listen, it's his table to begin with. He made the table. He provides the food for the table. He gives us life so that we can sit at the table. Jesus is the head of the table. He needs to be the head of the table of our life. Why? Because he has predestined you to be conformed in his image. He wants you to grow in his image. So he foreknew you. He predestined you. Secondly, then he called you. This is the gospel call. He called you to respond to the gospel. When you are called then, you are justified. We've talked a lot about this in the weeks past. You are declared not guilty of your sins when you place your faith and trust in Jesus. He places his righteousness on you. And then finally, we see the last word here. Those who are justified are glorified. Now, this is interesting. He jumps all the way to the end. He goes from the beginning of salvation all the way to the end. And this glorified is in past tense, meaning that he is so certain that when you receive Jesus you will receive that glorification in Jesus. It's a sure thing. When you stand before your maker, he's gonna say, well done, my good and faithful servants. But this glory starts now. It starts now. Some of us live in an, in an era of theology where we believe that the glory starts later. It, that's the fullness of glory. That's when you receive your glorified bodies where you'll no longer be sick and you'll no longer be tired and, and you no longer deal with the, the atrocities of the day. But listen, through the Holy Spirit, through the indwelling and filling then of the Holy Spirit, you can begin to live in that glory in part right now. Because God's purposes are good. God purposes to work on your behalf. You must know this. When you get Jesus, you got his good. He's working for you and he's going to battle for you. And this is our second point. God's purposes triumph over opposition. God's purposes triumph over opposition. Romans 8.31 what then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not even spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, he will, how will he not also with him grant us everything? Who can bring an accusation against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Jesus Christ is the one who died, but even more has raised. He is also at the right hand of God and intercedes for us. So Paul brings up three questions. If God is for us, right? Who can be against us? Who can bring an accusation against us? And who condemns us? Who is it? Who is that person that, that makes you feel so far from God? Who is that person that, that you feel like, man, they, they are, they are, there's such opposition 
I felt the world of opposition against me in sixth grade. You couldn't pay me to go back to middle school. It was a moment where I grew up as a very extroverted, crazy kid, and I became very withdrawn in sixth grade for about two years and after that. I was picked on, I was bullied, I hated it. I remember we were going to go to Disney World after sixth grade, and I put my hope in Disney World and I said, all right, we can go to Disney World, and after that I can just die, because I don't even want to think about going to seventh grade. Little did I know, God was shaping me and molding me uh, during that time. Um, part of the reason why I am who I am today is because I, he really worked in different areas of, of whether it be finding applause from people or finding pop, not finding your hope and popularity, whatever it was. So I'm thankful for those really hard years. But it was awful. Who's it seem like was opposing you? Is that boss? Is that neighbor? Is that someone that's supposed to be your friend? Heaven forbid, is it family? You may be facing struggles from somebody, but I want you to know that nobody, nobody can keep you from the love of God. Nobody. There is nothing. Nobody can harm you if you're, in the, if you're a people of God. When you've placed your faith in Christ, when you're walking with God and in the power of the Holy Spirit, nobody can keep you from the love of God. Nobody. And God went to great lengths so this can happen. He didn't even spare his son. He sent Jesus to stand in our place. And on the eve of his betrayal, Jesus realized what he had to do. And he even asked God in the Garden of Gethsemane, is there another way? And as he was sweating blood, he realized, no, it's not my will, but it's your will be done. And Jesus died for his people on the cross. When you place your faith and trust in Jesus, nobody can accuse you because Jesus bought you on the cross. He bought you with his shed blood. And because of this, there is now no condemnation for those of you that are in Jesus Christ. Nobody can separate you from the love of God. Nobody. That voice that's in your head. I had a dream last night, and um, I was telling Allison about this. It was one of those I woke up, and I was really just confused. And I was like, man, what in the world? It was basically people that I was closest to, one by one, they were just telling me really mean things. And it, and it was just getting progressively crazy. And finally, um, finally, uh, someone came up to me, and they said, wow, Andy, you really let yourself go. I'm like, I have? It's like, how'd you get so fat? It's like, oh, Wow, and, 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 I was, and I was like all, my beard was like down to here. I'm like, what in the world? And then I woke up, and I realized, Allison, am I fat? And so, <laughs> and it really, it disturbed me, because there were other things that were said. And I remember I just went right to prayer, because I'm like, I'm supposed to preach a message, and I'm just disturbed. And, uh, and, I, and this is what, this is just what I heard. It was, you know, you can listen to so many voices, absurd voices, other people's voices. But the voice you need to hear mine and this is what you need to hear in your opposition in your life opposition not just a dream it's his voice his voice that says he loves you and he's working on your behalf so we have personal opposition there's situational opposition we see this in verse 35 who can separate us from the love of christ can affliction or distress or persecution famine or nakedness or danger or sword Affliction, uh, that's something where you feel so squeezed. Uh, you feel like you're, you're getting it from every end. Uh, distress means you're ready to give up. You're out of energy. You can't fight the squeezing any longer. God purposes triumph over your opposition. Famine, nakedness, sword, sword, what can separate you? You know, Paul's not saying these things just to sound awesome and over the top. These are personal experiences. Paul was whipped within inches of his life. Paul was imprisoned. Paul would eventually give his life. He would eventually meet the sword. In fact, he quotes in verse 36, uh, Isaiah, because of you, we are being put to death all day long. We are counted as sheep to be slaughtered. Many theologians believe Isaiah's life actually ended in slaughter. He was actually sawn in two. You know, we don't have to face death in this society, but there's people even today, I think of Afghanistan, I'm getting reports from followers of Christ where the Taliban saying, we know where you're at. They faced the sword this morning. And yet, and yet, even when people faced the sword, even when every single apostle minus John, he was boiled in acid, when they faced the sword, they knew what couldn't be taken away. The things can burn down, all your, all your possessions can be taken away, your family could turn their back on you, they could even take your life, but you know what will be taken away is the glory that's to be revealed. You know what can't be taken away is the love of God. The worst that can happen 
can happen if you are in Jesus Christ. The worst that could happen is spending eternity away from our almighty God. But if you're in Jesus Christ, nothing can separate you from the love of God. Nothing. This leads us to our last, and we'll land here, God's purposes. God's purpose perseveres until the end. God's purposes persevere until the end. Can anything separate us? No. Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor demons, nor the present, nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. We are conquerors. We are more than conquerors. And this is what more than conquerors means. John Piper says this. He says, a conqueror defeats his enemy, but the one who is more than a conqueror subjugates his enemy. A conqueror nullifies the purpose of the enemy, but one who is more than a conqueror takes what the enemy meant for harm and turns it for good. Church, I don't know what's going to happen in our society. I don't know what's going to happen in the world. But what I do know is if you are in Christ, the Spirit of God comes to indwell you. What I do know is you have the grand opportunity to say, Holy Spirit, will you fill me afresh this morning? Give me your Holy Spirit. Give me your power to live in your kingdom, to move your kingdom forward. And in that moment, if I face persecution, not because I'm being an idiot and saying dumb things. If I face persecution because of your name, Jesus, I know this. That nothing can separate me from your love. Nothing. And so therefore I will walk, not in fear, but I will walk in faith. Why? Because I'm a son and daughter of the king who has been sought, who has been bought, and who will be glorified when you come back or I come to meet you, whatever comes first. Church, we need to live with a life full of faith because when you live a life full of faith, you give hope to people that are not in the faith. And when you live a life in the faith, you begin to value and seek out his presence in the everyday life. You begin to long for his voice and you begin to say, you know what, I'm going to separate all the voices that say I'm nothing, all the voices that say I can't do anything, all the voices that say I should give up, and say, God, I am going to follow your voice no matter what. For the sufferings of this present time are not worthy compared to the glory that revealed. For we know that all things work together for the good for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. For I'm convinced that neither life nor death, nor angels or demons, nor the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in this creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's some takeaways, and we're going to pray. Confess where you don't trust God's promises. This week, I want you to thank God that he's in control, even when your life seems completely out of control. Number three, ask God to help you stay faithful and keep going. This is so important. We're living in an age where people are applauding people walking away from God. That is Satan, okay? And it usually masks or aids in a form of Jesus that's not Jesus, all right? Number four, commit to his purpose and his cause. His purposes are to know him in a deep way and to share him every day. So what I want you to do is I want you to grab those cards today. I know that's, that's routine. Some of us get out of that routine. When you grab that, I want you to pray over them. God's gonna use them this week. God's going to use them this week. So, Father, we thank you. We love you for who you are. We thank you, God, for what you're doing. We thank you, God, for every single life in this room, every single life that's watching, and every single life that's going to be reached this week, God. Lord, we pray that we would not live in fear, but we would live in faith. That we would live, know that we can stand on your promises even when we can't see it, feel it. Even when we're angry with you, God, we pray that we would submit to you. Knowing that in all things, you are working for the good. And we're called according to your purpose. We know that your love has been chasing us before the very foundations of the world. We thank you for that. Lord, I pray that we're obedient to every command that you give us. And God, I pray that you would raise up a spirit of faith over Emmanuel Kenosha Church right now. A spirit of faith. A spirit of intercession. And a spirit of urgency. we continue to pray, I want to talk to anybody in this room that you've never personally received Jesus Christ as Savior. If you've never received Jesus Christ, you need Jesus. 
You cannot stand on the promises of Jesus if you have not received Jesus. This is why you need Jesus. He created you to have a relationship with him, but you sinned, you've done wrong. And your wrong separates you from Almighty God, separates you from his favor, from his promises, from his goodness, from his forgiveness. And there's no religion, there's no work that you can do to get to God yourself. That's why Jesus came to do it himself. Jesus came to this earth to die on the cross. He stood in your place. He paid it all on the cross. He paid for every one of your sins, past, present, and future. He saw you. He knows your name. And he declared it finished. He died on the cross, but because he's a perfect, sinless sacrifice, death didn't keep him. Three days later, he rose from the dead. And the Bible says this, if you confess your mouth, the Lord Jesus, and believe that he, believe in your heart that he rose from the dead, you will be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes shall not perish, but have eternal life. We just tell him right now, Lord Jesus, I need you. I want to receive you in my life. Do that right now. If you've never done that personally, do that right now. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you, if you're doing that right now, you're saying, you're just, you're crying out to Jesus. You're asking him to be your savior right now. Will you just make eye contact with me? I just want to pray for you throughout the week. Just make eye contact with me. Say, yep, that's me. I want to receive Jesus right now. I want to receive him as my savior. All right. There's something else, too, that uh, wasn't planned this morning, but I believe this is what we need to respond as we continue to pray. For some of us, we've been straying, and God's calling you back home. Some of you have been straying, you've been doing things without God, you've been groaning without God, you've been doing your own thing without God. He's calling you. He's calling you. Don't hang up. Don't wander from this. This is a holy moment. Some people would call this a rededication. I just want to say, you're coming back and you're submitting to God. You know you've been straying, you've been in that desert, you felt dry. He wants to receive you new. He wants to embrace you. He wants to fill you. He wants to forgive you. If that's you, you've been a follower of Christ, but you've been in a spot where you've been straying, you've been wandering, with every head's bowed and eyes closed. If you want to say, yeah, today that's me. I want to I wanna rededicate my life. I want to I wanna start walking in his ways. You just make eye contact with me, if that's you. Like, yep, today I want to rededicate my life to him I want to say yes to the things of Jesus I've been straying awesome 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 God thank you for those today that are saying yes I need to get right with you I've been straying from you God I just pray that today they would just simply trust you with everything in their life they get back into your word they would talk to you they love you in Jesus name Amen. Thanks for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram, both at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us on iTunes at Emmanuel Kenosha. That way, you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people but we are people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next time on the Emmanuel Message Podcast.